but you're supposed to hum inside your head to see what that was. But, well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you here, indoors, outdoors. Good seeing you. How you doing out there in the plaza? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And online, it's great, as always, to have you tuning in with us. We're so grateful to have you uh, as a part of the church, wherever you are. Uh, this is, uh, we are together. Uh, if it's through the screens, inside, outside, uh, this is really uh, fun for us to be together. You know, this um, year we've talked about quite often has had so many changes, and this year has had a lot of challenges, and it's really easy to be discouraged or maybe go through seasons or, or times in this year where you just feel like, man, this is, this is, you know, 2020 has not been the greatest, right? I don't know if you felt that, but I was thinking just this last week that one of the things that's been really helpful is just that practice of going back to what are the blessings that we have in our lives, and let's remember to recognize even sometimes the challenges are blessings that God gives us. So let's be people who learn to be grateful, people who learn to uh, continue to go back and praise God and recognize those little things that he is doing and has done. Uh, you know, even uh, uh, this last week, we had kind of a fun thing. My wife and I got to celebrate our 23rd anniversary together, so that was cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, and I'm grateful we lived in a state where you only had to be 13 to get married, so that, that was nice. Uh, but uh, so just those little blessings of even being able to share life with someone who you can laugh together, play together, and have a great, great time. So uh, it's those kind of blessings, uh, things that, Lord, you're so good. And so I want to just encourage you to recognize those things in your life. And again, sometimes it challenges. Those are things that make us grow, and those are the things that can be for our good. So we want to learn that practice of being grateful. Uh, the other thing I want to say before we get started is I just want to commend you as a church. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of division in the world right now. You may not have noticed. You, know, you might not have. That's fine. Uh, but I noticed some. And one thing that's been really cool is even in this season where let's just take coronavirus. We've talked a lot about it in the last six months. Can you believe? Uh, but there's... Even within Seacoast, there's different perspectives. And, and if you're just to divide it in two perspectives, there, there's even those represented here in Seacoast. And one thing that I just want to commend you on is when I've heard feedback and, and from you, no matter where you stand on this whole thing, it's been in a spirit of grace and love for one another and love for the different perspectives and viewpoints. And I just want to say thank you for that, because I think that we can model that well to our world. And uh, there are different perspectives. That's okay. But being able to love each other and offer grace in seasons like this is the key. And you've done it well. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Let's continue to do that in the community. Continue to offer that grace to one another. Continue to offer that love to one another. That's more important than this season we're in and what we think about the virus and the response. Our love and our strength as a church is going to outlast this. I promise you. So stay the course, keep going, and thank you for what you've done to this point. Uh, let's pray as we get started. God, we thank you for today. I thank you that you are good. I thank you for uh, just the way you've led us. And I thank you that, Lord, even in our shortcomings and the things that we fall um, and fail in and throughout the week when our maybe hearts aren't right or we fail to consider you, um, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are there. And I thank you that you offer your grace and that we can trust you even through this season. So we give you this time now. Shape our hearts. Change us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts is about uh, two-thirds of the way through your Bibles. It's in what we call the New Testament. And uh, it's right after there's four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and, and John explaining the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts explains the life of the church. And so uh, that's what we're going through in this series. Now, I've been looking at this. And one thing I love about reading the book of Acts is this is the beginning of the church. It's the beginning of what we are experiencing today. 3,000 years ago, or sorry, 2,000 years ago, the decisions made by the people we read about in the book of Acts are affecting us today. They're still leaving a legacy in our lives, and it's pretty fun to see. And one thing I love, and we're going to look at this today in Acts chapter 2, is this response of the people. When they encounter who Jesus is, they have this response that says, what should we do if this is Jesus, that changes everything. And they kind of have this all-in personality. I love that. Now, I have to admit that I'm kind of like that. I'm an all-or-nothing person. I have a saying in my house that if some is good, more is better. That's why I, I cook for the family about once a week. I can't do it often. My wife says, if you cook too often, it'll be, it's too expensive and there's too many calories. Because I think if it tastes good, you should have more of it. If it's a good sauce, you can have more of it. And good sauce often has a lot of fat in it because that's what makes it good. If some is good, more is better. I just, let's go for it is kind of my mentality. Even this last, uh, a couple weeks ago, one of our sons turned 18. And to celebrate the 18th birthday, he and I went skydiving. It was fun. Yeah, now some of you right now, you just thought like, what in the heck is going on with you? Um, I used to do this in college a, a few times. I have about five jumps out of an airplane before now. And people would say, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? To which my response is, when I was in college, I just want you to know, I never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. Okay, the, the airplane I jumped out of, it was like 50-50 whether it was going to make it back. So it was probably safer to jump. Now, a couple weeks ago when I went with my son, it was a much nicer plane, but we went up there, and it's the kind where you strap on to the instructor, which I've never done before, so, but they come out, and my guy came out in shorts and flip-flops. He's like, hey, I'm your guy. Let's go. I'm like, that's it? Okay, here we go. But we went, and you jump out of about 13,000 feet. You drop for 10,000 feet and pull your chute around three. So you get that about a minute where you're falling around 120 miles an hour towards the earth, it's awesome. No, it's like the greatest thing you can do. I think it is so fun. In fact, I think we should do a Seacoast skydive day. I think we should just all go. It'd be great. No? Okay. Anyway, but uh, it was just a blast. We got to the ground. I asked my son, like, how was it? He goes, oh, that was so much fun. I'm like, I know, wasn't it? It was so great. And the rest of the day, I was just as hyper as I am now, because when I talk about it, I just get really excited. And I started talking to my wife and said, you know, saying to Sarah, you know, when in college, I was working towards a skydive license. And if you have your license, then you can jump out of planes anywhere. They, they, well, not any plane. It can't like out of American Airlines. But, you know, you can go to different airports and jump. And I said, I, I just never, I ran out of money. I was in college. But it'd be fun to do that. And she says, you should go, you should get your license. Which I thought, are you serious? What do I need to do to do that? It was my response. And by the way, when you've been married two years, and you say you want to jump out of a plane, your wife might say, I don't know. 23 years, she's like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you want to do it a bunch? That's fine. Go ahead. Just jump. 
So, but she said, yeah, go for it. Go get your license. And I thought, wow, no way. I'm all in. I researched it. I figured out everything that I need to do. And hopefully sometime in the next year or two, I'm going to start working towards that. And hopefully you'll have some great skydiving stories. I know some of you right now are like, what's our transition policy if the pastor dies? Don't worry about that. It's fine. Totally safe. It's just air. So anyway, but so I look at that and I think, man, I just want to know everything there is. And I'm going to learn it. I'm going to do it. I looked at the first church. When we see this in Acts 2, when they encountered Jesus, they had that same response. What do we need to do? And I started thinking, when's the last time I responded that way to God. When's the last time you responded that way? Encountering the living Jesus and you say, oh yeah, you know what, I'll fit you in on Sunday. I might check fantasy football scores during the sermon, but I'll fit you in. Or did you ever say, when's the last time you said, if this Jesus is who he says he is, I'm all in. What does that mean for me? And then we're going to see a group of people who respond that way. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to cover a ton of ground. I'm going to summarize most of it for you, but let's jump in and starting in verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place, and the they is the disciples of Jesus. We read about them last week. There's about 120 of them at this point gathering together. And they were, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing among themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages so that the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, so let's get a, a little idea of what's going on here. So they're gathered together. It says it's Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is one of the three Jewish pilgrimage feasts, meaning it's one of the holidays in the Jewish calendar that if you were able, you would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And it's about seven weeks, or it is seven weeks after Passover, or 50 days to be exact. Pentecost is actually in Greek. That's the word for 50. So it's 50 days after Passover, in the Jewish calendar, it's called the Feast of Weeks. Weeks just representing the seven weeks from Passover to this time. Now, uh, so if that was happening, it meant that there was uh, tons of people there, more than normal in Jerusalem, and people from all over the, the earth, because they would travel there to celebrate this feast. Now, it also was a celebration of the first fruits of their harvest, or the first harvest of the year. So as they gathered, they would... Uh, make a sacrifice, Thanksgiving sacrifice to God, and celebrate the fact that he gave them the first harvest of the year. In, or in that area, it could have been maybe a wheat harvest, uh, an early wheat, or uh, something like that. For us here in California, I guess it would be like oranges or tomatoes or something, but it's the first harvest of the year. You'd thank God for it. And that's why they're gathered, and that's why there's a crowd. Now, it says a, a violent wind. They heard the sound of a violent wind, a rushing wind, and then saw these flames of kind of, he, the author here, Luke, describes them as tongues of fire. I don't think it like looked like tongues that were on fire. This is this, this symbolic imagery of there was like these flashes of fire, the sound of, of, of wind. And we want to understand that just a little bit. In the Jewish faith, Often and throughout the Hebrew scriptures, which is our Old Testament, you see these 
ideas of this wind, the violent wind or the wind rushing was often associated with the Spirit of God. In fact, the root word for spirit and wind is the same in both Greek and in Hebrew. So it's often the imagery throughout Scripture is this represents when you have a rushing wind, it often represented the Spirit of God. Fire often represented the presence of God. All the way back to Genesis chapter 15, God shows up kind of in a flaming torch in a vision that Abraham had. The burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 was this flame didn't even consume the bush, but that was God's presence represented to Moses. Uh, We even see throughout the wilderness that God showed up in this pillar of fire. So fire to the Hebrews often represented God's presence. Now, also once uh, at a time when King Solomon was one of the kings of Israel, he built a temple in Jerusalem. He built the first temple. When he built the temple and they prayed and they dedicated it, they saw this similar manifestation. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, I have this for you. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house or filled the temple. So what they're experiencing here is even dedicating the temple to God, and the temple represented the place where God would dwell. They saw this kind of rushing wind, this fire, this smoke, and God's glory filled that. So to a Hebrew, to the Jews of the first century, when they see something that we read here in Acts chapter 2, this rushing wind and flames of fire, that to them was very familiar. For us today, we read the story, and if you're like me, you'll go like, what was that like? <laughs> Did that really happen? Or if that happened, would I be sitting there to hang out and be like, hmm, this is peculiar? Or would it be like, you know what? Um, tell me about it later. I'm out of here. Some of you would be like, I'm Instagramming this. I'm going to be famous. So I know. But to them, it was familiar. It would conjure up images of how God moved throughout their scriptures. And immediately, they could associate it with the presence of God. Something is happening here. So we read that they have these images that kind of show up. And then it says in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Now, I want to make a side note. And for those of you who have your life journals out and you like to keep take notes, and, and this is just something I want to kind of give you some language that we'll see throughout the book of Acts. You have this here where it says filled with the Holy Spirit. And the other term we're going to see is baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that throughout the study. So I just want to give some clarification, especially as it's consistent through the book of Acts. When we see the term baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is most commonly used to, the word baptized, by the way, means to be fully submerged or to be immersed in. So when we as, a, as Christians here at this church have this ritual of baptism, it's to represent being fully immersed into the life and death of Christ and then raise, raised up in his, with his resurrection. We have new life. It's symbolic. So that's what baptism means. When it's baptized by the Holy Spirit, it means to be fully immersed in the Spirit. And this is something that happens that we read throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts that is, happens when you confess that Jesus is Lord and beca- he becomes Lord of your life. You are fully immersed. You are given the Spirit, and that's the term baptized in the Spirit. Now, there's other denominations who use that a little bit differently, but this is the consistent use. We even see it, in, for example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking, and he says, I, bite, I baptize you with water, 
But when Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That fire there was probably with the present, the cleansing presence of God. So saying when Jesus comes, he will baptize you, fully immerse you. He will give you the Holy Spirit. So if you are a person who is a Christian, you walk with Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's the language of Scripture. So what is true of you today, if you are a Christian, is that the Holy Spirit, you are immer- the Holy Spirit is immersed in you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it actually says, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? So as a Christian, the Spirit already dwells in you. You've been fully immersed. Now, the other term that we'll see other than baptized in the Spirit is filled with the Spirit. This one can sometimes be a little interchangeable, but most often, especially in the book of Acts, we see it used this way that we see in chapter 2, verse 4. Filled with the Spirit is a unique filling at a specific time for a specific purpose. This is being powered by the Spirit for a specific time for a specific purpose. It's in addition to the fact that in Christ, we already walk with the Spirit. And you'll see that all throughout the New Testament. But to be filled here, they were filled with a a supernatural power and ability to speak in other languages. Now, you might say, that sounds bizarre, and that would have to be supernatural. Yes, it would, and it was. Now, there are some Christian faiths that would say, until you show signs of a supernatural filling, you haven't fully received the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's fully consistent with Scripture. I have great friends who believe that, who will argue that from Scripture, and that's okay. That's their perspective. I have a little different perspective that we receive the Spirit, but there may be times when there's this supernatural filling. And that's not always, in fact, I've never been able to speak in another language supernaturally. I wish I could. There were times I've been on mission trips going, Lord, if you do this, this would be a great opportunity. Go ahead. And God's answer has been no. (laughs) Use your translator. Okay, thank you. But the filling of the Spirit we see happen throughout the book of Acts, sometimes from the case of a guy named Stephen. He was being martyred for his faith. It said, being filled with the Spirit, he saw the heavens opened up and had the power to forgive the very people who were killing him. That was a supernatural filling, a unique moment where he had an extra dose of wisdom from above. You may have experienced this at times when you say, Lord, I don't know what to say in this situation. And maybe for some of you, you've had moments where you said, I had wisdom that I didn't know I had in that moment. That could be an example of the Holy Spirit filling you for that moment to give you some extra dose of wisdom. And again, what we looked at last week, let's always make sure that that wisdom aligns with Scripture. So what we have here is the filling of the Spirit, which is different than just baptized. Tracking with me on that? Okay, so they're filled with the Spirit. They speak another language. Verse 5, and if you say, yeah, that's really strange, it is really strange, but it was for a specific reason at a specific time, and it says this, they, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout people from all, every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because they heard each of, them, uh, each of them were hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own language that we were born? And then a bunch of nations are listed here. So what you have is because of Pentecost... All these nations are gathered, and now they're hearing the message of Jesus 
spoken to them in their native tongue. Specific purpose, specific time. And then we find verse 11. They continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this all mean? Good question. And others were mocking them, saying, ah, they're just filled with sweet wine. In other words, some people are going, this is amazing. These guys are speaking in our language. What does this mean? Is this a presence power of God? And others are like, no, I think they're just all drunk. This is crazy. In verse 14, I love this. Peter, taking his stand among the 11, meaning among all the, the main disciples, he raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judah, Judea, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as it's only as you suppose, for it's only the third hour in the day. So I love this. His whole reason for, they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. That's his whole reasoning. So apparently at this point, this point in time, it's five o'clock somewhere was not yet a saying, okay? So he, Peter says, no, they're not drunk, but let me explain what it is. And then we're going to, I'm just going to summarize the next big chunk. So those of you who like to take notes, I'm going to give you the quick outline of Peter's sermon. Because Peter gives a little sermon here, and he outlines what they are experiencing. And we're going to skip over it because we're going to see these themes pop up over and over again in, in Acts. But I want to, for those of you who like to take notes, here's the outline of Peter's sermon. The first is this. He explains a fulfillment of prophecy. That's the first thing that happens, the fulfillment of prophecy. Peter takes verses 16 through 21 to explain, no, 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 the prophet Joel, which is one of our books in the Old Testament, explained that this day was coming. In Joel, he says, in the end, last days, men and women will prophesy in my name. I'll pour out my spirit on them, and they will speak prophecy in my name. And so Peter says, look, this is part of that, that prophecy that came from Joel. So he explains that. Now, Joel ends... His whole thing is talking about in the end, kind of the day of the Lord is coming. He says, and all will have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. So Peter says, this is a fulfillment of prophecy that speaks about the Messiah who's coming. So that's the first thing. He says, there's a fulfillment of prophecy. Then two, he says, and the Messiah you've been waiting for is Jesus. So in verses 22 through 32, he explains that Jesus is the Messiah, the one, and that means the anointed one, the one sent by God that you've been waiting for according to your prophets. That, so it starts with this is just a fulfillment of prophecy, not a just, but this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Two, and Jesus is that fulfillment. And he goes into, says, look at the works of Jesus, the miracles he performed. And then look at this death and his resurrection. His resurrection proves that he was the Messiah. So he... Uh, Peter explains the resurrection, and then he brings in some more prophecy from David to kind of confirm and give evidence of the resurrection. So it starts with the fulfillment of prophecy, then two, the explanation of Jesus is the Messiah you're waiting for, and then the third part that he says, if, and because Jesus is the Messiah, he will now pour out his spirit upon you. That's the quick, really quick version of it because we're going to get into some other things. Now, verse 36 is how he ends his sermon. He says, Therefore, because this is a fulfillment of prophecy and because Jesus is the one who the prophets have been talking about, 
and he is the Messiah, and he is pouring out a spirit. Because of all of that, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Christ is the word for the anointed one, the Messiah. He's made him this Jesus whom you crucified. The conclusion is Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The response when they heard this was, If this is true, if Jesus is the one we've been waiting for, then that changes things. So what should we do about it? This, how should we live now? What is going on with this? Tell us, what does this mean for our lives? And Peter responds which, with three things that I think these are applicable to us today. Check out verse 38. He says, here's what you do. Repent, each one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. So Peter says, listen, this message is for everyone, anyone who hears it. And he gives us three things. The first one was this, to repent. Repent is this word here in Greek, the actual use of the word here is to change your mind. So to change your mind, to have a new outlook on life. So as you look at things in Christ, you say you should look at it differently than you did before. It should change the way you, you think about situations. Now I have to tell you, I'm going to give you a little confession. This is one of the things that often I'm challenged with. In fact, if you are maybe have never given your life to Christ, today the challenge for you would be to repent, to change the, your mind, to receive Jesus and think about things differently. For some of you, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you need to be reminded, oh yeah, sometimes I look at the world in a way that's about me before Christ. Change your mind. Maybe some of you, you're like, I've been walking with the Lord forever. I've been memorizing scripture today. I memorized the book of, uh, of Joel when I woke up this morning. I mean, I'm so close to God. Well, here's a reminder. Let's keep our minds focused on thinking as people who've been transformed by Jesus. So change your mind is the first thing. Now, this last week, uh, there was an announcement in our school district, so I'll let you in on a little bit of our lives, that our, our junior hires and high schoolers are going to do distant learning all the way through the end of January, almost till February. Now, I was not super excited about that announcement. I'll just tell you, my own confession is I, I didn't really like that announcement. Um, and as I, I've been in communication with our school board, and as I kind of gave them another response in the, in the superintendent, which I'm surprised they don't just listen to everything I say, but I tried sending it to them. But I was challenged with something. Because last week, I heard a sermon preached um, right here uh, by the preacher, who stood right here, <laughs> who said, sometimes you're going to face things that maybe you don't agree with. But what is your posture of your heart towards those people? You can disagree. You can vote differently. You can do all that. But how do you think about the people? Are you praying for them? Are you compassionate towards them? Are you understanding towards them? Do you offer them love? And so this week, 
that was what was challenged because my response at first wasn't one that was like, man, I just, I'm, I'm filled with so much grace and passion and love for the people who are making these decisions. Now, again, we, some of you in here are like, I'm glad they made this decision. That's fine. We all have different viewpoints. But on this one, it was frustrating to me. But I had to step back. And God reminded me of the sermon last week that I gave and said, do you want to practice that? And I said, sure, but not this week. Next week, I'll do it. <laughs> No, repent, change your mind, have a new outlook. Try to view the world that I would view the world. Even if I disagree about decisions or or what people are saying, how do I think about them? Are they created, created in the image of God and worthy of love and respect? A new outlook. When we repent, it changes. The next part is this. He says, be baptized and, and here the language it says for the forgiveness of sins in a lot of your translations, this doesn't mean baptism is what forgives you for sins. It's essentially because you've been forgiven for sins. Be baptized. Be fully immersed. It's new identity. And so baptism is a new identity. It's a new lifestyle. It's, your new, it's what now defines you is this new family you're a part of. We've talked about this in the, throughout the summer. We kind of came up a few times. But your identity should be Christian first. That's the adjective of your life. You you are not a Republican Christian or a Democrat Christian or a white Christian or a black Christian. You are a Christian who may be Democrat or Christian who may be Republican, Christian who might be white or whatever you are. But what should define us is our being in Christ. Our new identity is I'm a Christian who may vote this way, but I'm more influenced by being Christian than how I vote. You tracking with me? And it's so easy to flip-flop those. But in Christ, be baptized, fully immersed. What defines our life is Christ. And that changes then. It allows, yeah, we're going to have difference. Right here, we're going to have difference of opinions, okay? And on, on the, the Sunday before your election, we're going to sit on different, no, we're not going to do that. There's a stupid joke in my head over there. But we have different opinions right here. Different, we vote different ways. But what unites us and defines us is Christ, not our political parties. Because that will never work. So Peter says, be immersed into this new identity and then finally receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's being given to you is the Holy Spirit, which is a new way of life. The power in our lives that transforms us is actually the Holy Spirit. Every week I could preach to you and say, hey, be better, be different, quit sinning, start being more godly, be, come on, work harder. And some of us respond well to that, right? Some of us do. Some of you are dutiful and you say, I'm going to do it. And others are like, as long as you tell me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> but the truth is, we don't need to tell you what to do because what we want to say is receive the Holy Spirit because the truth is what changes our lives is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, we want to point out things in Scripture, but the Spirit of God is what will shape and change you. It's a new way of life. Live in the power and walk in the power of the Spirit. Wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you so much that I am a son or a daughter of you, and thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Help me be aware of your presence today. Start to view the world through that lens. Allow transformation happen from the Spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up. 
And as I do, I just want to point out one other kind of interesting thing that happened. Because here in the day of Pentecost, everything changed. The church exploded. People were convicted and heard this message. And the very first evangelistic moment happened here. See, Pentecost also, as I started off, and said it was a celebration of the first fruits, the first harvest. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 18, he actually says we as Christians are kind of like the first fruits. He was speaking to the Christians of that time. You're the first fruits, the first harvest, those who were speaking in or there. So God used that day where they celebrated the harvest to bring the first, quote, harvest, the first group of Christians to become a part of this new family. And the decisions they made that day, when they said, what should we do, still make a difference for us today. The decision we make today may affect hundreds, maybe thousands or more for the rest of your life and beyond. How will you respond to Jesus? As we end, we're going to end with a song that's kind of an older song, familiar for some of you. And the song's just, it's called Be Thou My Vision. So you may be familiar with it. If it's unfamiliar, reflect on the words. Really what it's saying is, let my life see, I want to see the world as you would, God. I want to see myself as you see me. You be my vision. You be the one on whom I base my identity and my life and my decisions. Less of me, more of you. So as we end with that song, I want to invite you to stand with us as we sing kind of as a collective prayer together, singing that God would be the vision of our lives. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you so much that Lord, even when we get this wrong, even when there's times when we live more in our own power, we forget that we actually have your presence with us, Lord. Would you help us be people who that, that you continue to pursue, that you continue to forgive, you continue to lead us. So we ask that you help us be people who learn to receive and to respond. We thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you don't give up on us in this world. As we end, brothers and sisters of Seacoast, would you receive this blessing? You, we share it with you often, but receive it now as truth in your life. You are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus Christ has done through his life, his death, his resurrection. Your sins are forgiven and you may have peace with God. So be aware that you are filled with the Spirit and go now and walk in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning. I love seeing all of you. Love to have you connecting online. And uh, let's continue to be a community of grace and of love towards one another. And we look forward to seeing you next week. So we'll be back next week. Thanks for being here. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us online this morning. We really hope that you were encouraged by the message that you heard. A couple of things before you click away. Hey, what things are still fresh on your mind, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear if there's anything that God taught you or if there's any takeaways that you had from the message this morning. Would you just share those with us in the comment section below? We'd love to check those out. Secondly, 
if you're looking for some prayer, if you need anything, if you have any questions, comments, if you want to get plugged in, just click our connect card link below in the description and we'd love to get connected with you there. And finally, Seacoast as a church, we exist to help people discover life in Christ. And so much of what we do is made possible through the generosity of people like yourselves. And so would you consider partnering with us and making a financial contribution so that people will continue to learn and to grow in God's grace and discover life in Christ? Because that's what we're all about. To do so, just simply visit our website at seacoast-church.org and click Give Online. Well, that's it for us. We hope that you have an amazing week, and we look forward to seeing you here on a Sunday morning sometime soon.